Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai. Okay, here are this week's talking points. Ben Bromley, 28-day ban for mistaking the winning post at Sandown yesterday on Call Me Lord. Um, he also got another four-day ban for his use of the whip in the same race. Uh, this isn't the first or the last time this has happened at Sandown Parkley. There are two winning posts because the configuration of the two courses means that if you go straight from the chase course, you have to be in a different line to the, to the hurdles track. That's right. Yeah, it, it's one that people sometimes say, why can't Sandown just have one winning post? And as you said, the, the configuration of the two tracks would make that very difficult indeed. Ultimately, what Ben Bromley has done here is entirely Ben Bromley's fault. Yeah. You know, and he came in and, you know, full marks to the, to the, to the, the young jockey there. He held his hands up. He said, I've made a mistake. And he apologised. He's not the first to do this. He's happened quite a few times before. And... There isn't, there isn't really an excuse in the sense that Sandan have done all they can do. These yeah. days, they, they, the, the, the two winning posts, whichever one they're using is, yeah. is in orange, so it's obvious. It's now a 3D winning post, so as you're approaching it, you can see that that is the winning post. But people make mistakes. Yep. You know, we saw Neil Callan. Yeah, we yeah. Now, this is, this is what I wanted to say. How does, how does Neil Callan, vastly experienced international rider friend of the show how does he get away how does he get away with a 12 day ban for for riding a finish a circuit early which is pretty pretty hard to do yep. in fact when ben bromley gets 28 days for making a mistake that is less hard to I yeah, completely agree. I mean. there, there's, there's, it's very hard to see how one... I don't like the kind of water battery thing, but... No, but... The, hell, you, you're quite you right, go. though. There's no reason why Neil Callan's offence should be deemed to be less than half as bad as what Ben Bromley has done. No, they, they, they've both made serious mistakes. They both held their hands up. I'd just say, in general, we do all make mistakes. I know I've put a lot of things in the racing post that I wish I hadn't done. You'd have said things on programmes that with hindsight you wish you hadn't done. Definitely. We all we all make mistakes. The problem for jockeys is that when they make their mistakes in full public glare and it can prove very costly not just to connections but to punt as well. So you have to have that punishment. When we talk about momentum earlier, when your momentum's with you and you've just really, you've knocked up seventeen winners quite quickly at an early stage of your career, that's a it's an annoying time to get a, just over a month off, isn't it? Give him a long time to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> look, it's, it's without being flippant about it, it, it has happened before and it will happen yeah. and it's a shame. And there's nobody feeling worse this morning than Ben, I'm sure. No. Right, let's move on. Alcohol-free made just the 5.4 million guineas if we're talking about sales prices. But what's most significant about her sale this week? She's not just being sold to breed, she's being sold to race. Sold to race where? Abroad, in Australia, where every week next year, Lee, there's going to be a race worth... A million Australian dollars. Yeah, I mean the riches in Australia are every week. Yeah, colossal. Um, there are so many seven opportunities or something. So many, yeah, so many opportunities, Nick. Um, we were both over at the Melbourne Cup Carnival, and uh, on the Saturday there, the final day, they were staging Group Ones that were more valuable than equivalent Breeders' Cup races. I think we should say here that we, we talk about this this equine talent drain, and there is a legitimate issue here, but equally. Jeff Smith wasn't selling alcohol-free 
because he had decided that that this wasn't the prize money for her to be to, to to be won in Britain. She wasn't when when she went through the ring. I no. don't think most people expected no, her that to be was sold surprise, as a racehorse. No, that was the surprise. Absolutely. The surprise was that she would carry. And a lot of them, a lot of these mares, they're going to carry on racing elsewhere. When I when I read it, I was it's, it's the first thing that struck. And then I read, as you said, about the eighty-seven odd races worth a million pounds. All right, that's that's I understand it now which is mind-boggling money, but the, the surprise was that she was going to run again. I mean, as a broodmare, they're like gold dust mares like her. And Lee and I have both been lucky enough to spend a bit of time with Gay Waterhouse recently, and she's the only person I know who could predict confidently that she would make her money back on the track as well. Take a bit of doing, yeah. It will take a bit of doing. Yeah, I mean, the Everest is the most valuable race that she can run in. This year, the first prize for that was about £3.7 million. So winning that on its mm. in itself wouldn't be enough to recoup that value. But as we said before, she hasn't been bought just as a racehorse. Her value as a brood mare is colossal is she? I know well. she won a July Cup. Is she, is she Aussie fast enough to win the Everest? Um, tends to be run on pretty deep ground, okay, which we so know she can right. go on, but also there are lots of opportunities over a mile, albeit not so many at weight for age level, while well, a group one handicaps in Australia over a mile, but she'd probably say a mile and a quarter over there as well. I think it's one of the points to make on this, Nick, as well, that, that December sale ended what has been a colossal year for the sales houses. I've done a column in the post on it tomorrow, I reckon, well I've added it all up, in, in just in, in sales that took place in Britain this year, Goffs and Tats, over half a billion pounds in turn. That's American billion. That's 500, 500 million. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Not a it is astonishing sums of money. The, the success this year that sales houses have had is, is colossal. Extraordinary. Um, Donald, the um, Royal Ascot Authority have announced a big prize money increase <laughs> this year. I mean, you eyeing up some of those nice handicaps, they've all... You, you, you've won a lot of big races on the flat. Don't laugh. No, we've had a couple of runners at Royal Ascot. It's grand, yeah. And if we've got a stayer that might be good enough to go, we'll go. But when I don't are you going to unleash the next overturn? I don't think it's going to concern. Maybe they'll put a bit back onto saving the jumps track. I think that there is a there is an increase to the to the to the jumps yeah. program as Clarence well. Clarence chase has gone up. And the Ascot chase has gone up. In fact, across the board, and to be fair to Ascot, they're, they're talking about a fourteen percent increase in exec contribution, which is a significant. Um, increase. It comes at a time when central funding is going down because obviously racecourses have received extra benefit in the last few years from the levy board, but that can't go on forever. The levy board's only got so many, yeah. so much in its reserves tank to keep dishing money out. So I think in two, two things I think were interesting. The, the Shogar Cup has had a big boost in terms of its prize. I mean, £80,000 a race there, presumably because it's now competing with the Racing League and the Sunday series. And the Royal, the Royal meeting is, is the obvious one. Um, Queen Anne now 750,000. The, the 500,000 Group 1s are now 600,000 Group 1s because Ascot is aware that it has to try and compete on the international stage. To what extent do you look at the programme book and go for the money? How many that, times? Um, I think it comes down to when there's two... Uh, through the year when there's two races the same. And sometimes, as a small example, the other day we had a horse in at Weatherby and at Kelso or somewhere, I can't think where it was, to be honest, and it was racing for nearly double the money at one compared with the other. Didn't, didn't win either, so it didn't matter. But, <laughs> but you know, it, does, it, it has to make a difference. It's, it's, it's a tough job, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't make you just go for that race. For, when you get into the biggest races, it's different. That's your target and that's it. I mean, another hundred grand on one of those Royal Ascot races. Yeah, it's great and so on, but they're going there anyway, aren't they, how, truthfully? How many 
of your owners by percentage would say to you, look for the look for the better prize money? Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Ducking and diving. Or are they? Are they ducking and diving? You see, uh, we've talked about this. I think Gordon Elliott's been slightly misconstrued because I think he meant that you've got an opportunity in Britain yes. for good horses to avoid each other. Yes. So Not I, that trainers were, 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 were doing something less well than trainers do in Ireland. Yeah, I think there was something within Gordon's wider quotes, there was maybe something unintentionally inflammatory when he talked about having the, the top horses, the top trainers over there. As we said before, I don't think the top Irish trainers are any better than the top British trainers. They've got the best horses. But in terms of the, the, the programme as a whole, the whole ducking and diving thing that, that, that caused annoyance uh, among British trainers like Nicky Henson and Paul Nichols in particular, I think the point that Gordon was trying to make is that the British programme allows yeah. horses to be campaigned to each other. against each other. If you, if you, for example, have a very good Gold Cup class three-mile chaser in Ireland, you pretty much have the race at Down Royal at the start of November, and then you have the Savills Chase, I think it's called at Leopardstown, the grade one over Christmas, and then you have the Irish Gold Cup. You can drop down in trip, you can go for handicaps, but they are the three races. Now, in Britain... You've got the, the Charlie Hall chase that leads into the Betfair chase. You've then got the, the Many Clouds chase yesterday, which was an addition to the PAMP programme, probably an unnecessary addition. Then you've got the King George. You don't need all those pattern races. I think what you can say as well is that if we had a move back to the old days where we have more examples of horses like L'Ompresse being asked to carry top weight in the rehearsal chase, you've got an open three-mile handicap chase at Cheltenham on Friday. You've then got an open three-mile handicap chase, the old Silver Cup, the old SGB, at Ascot the week after. These are all races that used to attract grade one horses, but they tend not to anymore. No. The races are there. It's just that some trainers don't want to run their horses in them. And I think if we can just squeeze the pattern programme a bit, we can drive that sort of competition that Gordon Elliott is saying they have in Ireland. So it's actually at the top level. When you get to the top level, you should have fewer opportunities. I'm a bit baffled by the whole thing because every, every every week I look in Ireland and there's there's soft graded races left, right, and centre. When Kingstown sell all those horses at Doncaster in in September, it's it's mind-boggling how many of them have got black type that half of them you didn't even even know had it. To be honest, you know, I think it's if you want if a, if an owner owners don't like running against each other in the same yard. That's a fact. But if, you'd, if you're prepared to have your horses in Ireland, or if you have your horses in Ireland, without being rude, there's so few. You, you, you have a handful of trainers, and they have, they have to be prepared going over there to be running against each other because they're in so few yards, aren't they? Um, there won't be any soft-graded races at Ferry House this afternoon, <laughs> no. that's for sure. <laughs> they're, pretty, they're pretty tough ones. Chris Wall has uh, stood down. As a, as a trainer after a, a successful career and a long career. He's a, he's a popular trainer, a thoughtful trainer. Donald, when you read that somebody like him saying, well, I could keep going, it, but I don't really want to keep going just grubbing around with a few horses. So Chris was my first landlord when I went to Lucas. He was assistant and um, I, I lived in his house with, with Chris and, and, and Chris is a lovely man. Chris is a gentleman and it's really sad. He's, he's a passionate racing man. He's been in it for a long time, and I'm sure he's not done this lightly. And I, I was talking to him at Newmarket at the sales. It wasn't mentioned and that sort of stuff, but it's a crying shame when people like Chris are disappearing. 
is it the old adage of of owners just moving on to younger trainers? There's a big raft of twenty somethings with licenses in in Newmarket. And now. I think if you set your stall out to be in Newmarket and stay in Newmarket, there's there's new sexier people come along, isn't there? And and you know is is uh, and and it's all about um yeah, and it's it's all it's all about that really, you know. But he can make no mistakes. Chris knows the time of day. He's a good trainer. It's a shame. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it took me by surprise a little bit. Took me by surprise as well, Nick. Um, particularly because he had has had a very successful season. He's he's done well. He's been doing well. He's been getting results, but he hasn't got enough horses to achieve those results with. I think, although we can look at something like this and say it paints a very bleak picture of British racing financially, I think you actually hit the nail on the head when you talked about those young, up and coming mm. trainers. I was struck by something that Charlie Fellow said. At Glorious Goodwood this year, after he won that big two-year-old race, the the, uh, the vintage stakes, he spoke about how he felt intense competition now, and to an extent, he felt almost like he'd gone out of fashion because you've got people like George Bowie, Ed Crisford, James Ferguson, Archie Watson, young people in the twenties or early thirties, who, if you are a young owner or a youngish owner. You think maybe they're the people I want to go with. You know, there is nothing wrong with a pair of pants from M&S. But young people tend Where's to prefer not to go to M&S to get their pants because it's deemed not to be the trendy place. And there are some trendy trainers and some less trendy trainers. And I don't know what pants they wear. They might last longer too. They might wear them, yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> and there are some trainers who are pants. But if they are, if they are, they're unlikely to have a horse in the... In the Grand National, um, and the Grand National final field now will not necessarily be 40 because the reserve system, which has enabled horses to get in if one comes out late in the day, has been disbanded and the, the racecourse and the jockey club have cited um, concerns surrounding uh, data, the ease with which you can get the numbers into broadcast and, and press and global sales and so forth. Um, Donald, what's your, what's your initial thought on no more reserves in the Grand National. It's not actually been in all that long. It's, what was it, a couple of decades? Uh, 2000, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, 20, 20 odd years. No, but uh, it's, it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, look, they put a limit on the number of runners in the Grand National. It would be nice if they reached that limit every year. Obviously, it goes out saying uh, they just need to stop making it easier to win. Simple. And it's always tougher to win with 40 than it is with 36. I, I, get, I get the feeling that this is a... You, there's a wider point here simmering away. I, I, we don't need to go down that road. It's the Grand National. It's the greatest race in the world. You know, let's. It needs. It, it doesn't need to be. I'm, look, I'm not saying it makes a huge difference with two or three horses coming out, but if the space is there, people should have the opportunity to run. Yeah. So at the moment, it's 11 o'clock the previous day, isn't it? It's 11 o'clock on the Friday. Yeah. If a horse that's been originally declared on the Thursday comes out between Thursday declaration time and so lunchtime Friday one of the reserves gets a shot. And that happened three with times three horses yeah, this season. Um, the Juggler made the point yesterday that if you actually look at how reserves have fared in the Grand National, none have done better than 10th place. So they haven't had, they've not had a great record in the race. I'm pretty yes, relaxed. I'm, I'm not sure that's a terribly good argument. No, but, but I think, I think they're, they're trying to say the horses they're getting in don't tend to do that well. But I, I, I agree mm. with you, it's maybe a, a weakish argument. But in general terms, I'm quite relaxed about it on the basis that we can't um, overestimate the extent to which the Grand National towers over everything else mm -hmm. in this sport. The, the, the average 
person who's got no interest in racing would take no interest in the Cheltenham Gold Cup or the Gold Cup at Ascot or the Derby, but they would be aware and likely take an interest, maybe watch, have a bet on the Grand National. And I do think it is frustrating that for whatever reason... Um, we haven't been able to get a system whereby a reserve who's number 41 has Can to be. run his horse number nine. Yeah. It looks strange. And I also think, in general terms, although the reserve system is sensible in that it gives everyone as big a chance as possible out of a run, you, if you had a situation whereby a horse came into the race on the Friday morning, a day after the decks came out, and that horse suddenly became favourite for the Grand National, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's ideal. Um, so I can see both sides of the argument. I'm pretty relaxed about the decision that Aintree have, have made, though. The um, broadcaster and entrepreneur Josh Appiaffi has launched the Racing Media Academy for 2023. Um, it was launched to significant success in 2022. Um, and delighted to say that the, the graduates of the Academy are going to spend their final day on this, on this show. So Shall we for them? I mean, you know, it's, it'll all be it'll all be great stuff until then, and they sort of you know sort of tails <laughs> off as it as it as it comes to the end. Um, he made some interesting comments in an interview with the Racing Post, Lee, mm-hmm. a warning uh, of racing's place in in, in popular culture, uh, and suggesting that that the sport could, in his words, become like show jumping. I'll come back to that in a minute. But your your observations? Yeah, I, I was. I think in general terms, what what Josh was was saying is that we need to. Do more, and in that sense, he's right. You know, if what people like Josh are trying to do, um, what what things like the diversity group are trying to do, we had a yesterday. Love the racing was was promoting racing with pride as well. These are all efforts that are aimed to make the sport better. In the sense that we're trying to bring more people into the sport. You know, we're trying to get away from images of of, of grandstands on race courses that are just just full of of white faces, as an example. Now, that's not to say that anyone is doing anything wrong, that anyone is actively Mm. trying to keep anybody out of the sport, but we're trying to make people see that this is a sport that is welcome to all, and if we can do that, and that is a good thing, and what Josh is doing is a very good thing, because that Racing Media Academy is trying to give people who might think that I would have no chance of getting a job in the racing Mm. media a chance to do that. I was involved in it last year. Um, you're involved in it. Again, Racing Post are taking people, Racing TV are taking people, the pod is taking people. Um, I think the more that we can let people see that this is a sport that is open to all and that you can thrive in, and no matter what your background, that has to be a good thing. I wanted to make... Uh, Josh got a bit of criticism for the show jumping analogy, which is one that's been used by plenty of other people in the past. And quite rightly, people pointing out that actually... At a boutique level, show jumping is a very popular and very rich sport. At the moment, there's a lot of money in it. It has big, high-end sponsors. Longines and Hermes. I mean, the, the, let's face it, racing would absolutely kill for. Well, if Epsom now trying to find a derby sponsor, <laughs> yeah, Longines or Hermes. Precisely. So. And it, it did get me to thinking, what are your, how do you define success? Yeah. Are you defining success by how many people in the, in the street know the faces in your sport? Or are you defining success on whether your much smaller, more niche, boutique type sport is well-funded and well-financed and the small collection of people yeah. within it are well-looked after? What are your aims? Are you aiming to be popular? Populist? Yeah. What, you know, what, uh, racing success, I suppose, because it depends on 
on people betting on the sport yeah. to a greater like, you, you need you need you need bodies, don't you? You need bodies to follow it, whereas you don't need that in show jumping. That's right. Show jumping is in many ways a a very strange beast when, when you're having this sort of discussion because, as you say, there are these huge sponsors uh, pumping money into show jumping. Um, the prize money in show jumping at the top end is superb now, but it's, but it's a sport that largely yeah. takes place out of the public glare. When, With ultra-high net worth people who would yeah, be targets when, for those sponsors. When we were all kids, you'd be watching the Royal International Horse Show, the Horse of the Year uh, show, the Hickstead Derby, all on the BBC. These days, show jumping largely takes place completely away uh, from mainstream television and indeed, and indeed digital television. You know, Sky don't take much of an interest no. in... But I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask Donald about you, the, the, the demographic of your, your ownership base and whether you see enough people of, say, under 40 or even under 50 coming into the yard with, with spending power. Well, I'm more my age now, yeah, but there's, there's more pe there's people coming in, yes. There's people, well, I met people yesterday, younger people buying horses and, and, uh, and that sort of stuff, you know. So I, just, I, I think the difference is that horse racing is a nationwide industry compared with show jumping, mm -hmm. isn't it? You know, you, uh, the, the ownership and the trainers, things, but it's, 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 it's the staff, the thou thousands and thousands of staff. And I just, my, my sister... Up till recently, was doing that racing to schools mm -hmm. and things like that, and and it baffled me when she told me that they'd take young kids from certain areas to the races, and they'd nearly never seen grass. If if, if you know what I mean, they just we should celebrate racing as an industry where you can travel the world and you can earn a good living, and and you go into the schools and it's still frowned upon, as a you discuss it as a as a, as a career going forward, and it's never even on the radar, you know. Why do you think that is? Just I, there's, I don't know if there's a stigma to it or what, but I just I think it's lack of knowledge on a general basis of of the careers that you can have in this industry. So actually, steering back to your your initial point, could could something like the Racing Media Academy um, help to help to allay this sort of issue? Yeah, absolutely, it could. It, it's a, it's a really positive thing that, that Josh Apiafi and Lee Molson Lee Molson have, have done. You know, they, they they are trying to to bring more people into the sport. And I think anything anything that's like that, any any positive initiatives like that, although they might make some people uncomfortable because they think it's people trying to paint a, a negative picture of a sport that they love. Anything that can bring more people into horse racing is a good thing because those people could be owners of the future, they could be trainers of the future, jockeys of the future, punters of the future, fans of the future. We, we need as many people to get involved as we can. And however we do that, if it has a, if it has a, has a good outcome, then that's a great thing. You also never know where the next tech wizard is going to come from or Absolutely. when the next major or even micro-influencer is going to come from who's going to have a major impact on your sport or your, or your business. You're never quite sure when the people walk through the, the gates of your yard to begin, to begin a job at Donald McCain. You could be alighting on the next star and you never know where they're going to come from. From, from everywhere and anywhere and that's the thing. It's, 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 it is a sport. It should be a sport for everyone and I, I don't see any reason that, that it can't be. And it, do you do you feel that in, among your workforce? Is your workforce relatively varied or not? Well, yeah, well, to, 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 to a point. Obviously, it's. I mean, I mean, it, it's it's hard now 
for kids wanting to come into it because it's not fun sometimes if you've got your family in it and we have some youngsters in the place but it, it's 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 a it's a it's a tough but rewarding lifestyle isn't it and lots of kids don't want to come out of the house anymore do they if you know what I mean so but but you know I, I I've I've seen and I've people that have worked for me and you see them all over the world in different jobs now and it's it's, it's a great industry that must give you a lot of satisfaction very much so yeah Okay. Those were this week's talking points.